This episode of Searching for Ghosts contains explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Searching for Ghosts. Then they went out Rusty's house and they said they seen Pete Hill. It was raining and they passed him in the driveway and they just went on into Rusty's house, which they might have been going in there to say bye to him. I don't know. But they said they was looking for Pete Hill. I never thought to ask Cindy, though, why were they looking for Pete Hill? When the search started, that was the first place Casey, uh, Cindy wanted to look was Pete Hill. It up up in a levee up and Cindy just knew Casey was in that levee. And she went out there and talked to his wife at the time, wanted to see if we get the police out there, and she said no. She stated over and over again that it was Pete Hill, Mr. Y. I asked her if she had a reason as to why she was so adamant that he was the culprit. She responded with, quote, Honey, I didn't just pull his name out of a hat, unquote. We walked out of the bedroom, and there were scratches going down the hall wall, and I noticed them. They were just kind of odd looking. And then um, I kind of looked at Dawn. She looked at me. We kind of shot each other a look. She knew what I was thinking. I knew what she was thinking. Yeah, yeah that night when we were picking up passes, you said it, and I'm like, oh, I forgot. Dark paneling down the hall. But it was just odd. Odd. All the way down the wall. One of those flashbacks you don't really want yeah. to think about. The paneling is still there, but it has been painted since 1996. According to Tracy and Dawn, carpet in that house is the same carpet from 1996. If whatever happened to Casey happened inside that house, that carpet and paneling might hold the answers. I received a tip this past Wednesday that something was going on at the former Casey McDaniel house in Milan, Tennessee, the house in which she lived when she disappeared 22 years ago. So my sister Bridget, who helps with research and media for Searching for Ghosts, met me so we could make the trip to Milan to see what was going on. Excuse the car, it's a mess. That's how my The seat's got so hauled in it. You're talking to a girl that doesn't carry a purse. I carry a Dollar General bag. <laughs> so, I've got guns. I'm Brandon Barnett, and this is Searching for Ghosts, an update on the Casey McDaniel case, a suspect and a search. I ended season one after I received a 2007 report from a law enforcement agency doing its own investigation into the disappearance of Casey McDaniel. You might remember that family members indicated that it was Pete Hill, Mr. Y, who was responsible, and that Cindy, Casey's mother, knew more about what happened to her daughter than she let on. These witnesses said that, quote, Shortly after Casey disappeared, that Steve Davenport was in the driveway of the McDaniel home, and Pete Hill came up and began talking to Steve. Cindy looked at Steve and Pete, and Pete nodded his head, and Cindy fell to her knees in the yard and began to cry and scream and beat the ground. Both mentioned the names Sam Sykes and Rusty. Unquote. 
Joe believes that Pete Hill actually killed Casey and stated that he came up with a lot of scratches on him after Casey disappeared. He told the scratches were from Brush. Joe seemed to ramble when he spoke and mentioned a Rusty Sykes name. Another family member stated that they thought, quote, Cindy knew something about Casey being gone. Cindy appeared to be trying to kill herself and stated Cindy appeared to have a lot of guilt on her about Casey, unquote. So I decided to end it right there. I knew that I wouldn't get any more information. Mylan police wasn't talking, and neither was Casey's family. But I knew that this was big. That if someone else in law enforcement land was listening to the podcast, it would pique their curiosity and hopefully speak to their sense of justice. And maybe, just maybe, if people in the know wouldn't talk to me, they would talk to them. At the time that season one aired, Pete Hill was serving time for trying to kidnap a woman in Jackson, Tennessee. We referenced the botched kidnapping in a previous episode. He's in prison right now for uh, trying to kidnap, kidnap somebody at a store or something. A young girl. Uh, yeah, I think he's still and, in there, though. But uh, In this episode, all of the news clips you will hear are from Bridget Chapman at WREG-TV News Channel 3 in Memphis, who has done a stellar job in reporting on this case. Here, she gives us some more context for the attempted kidnap. When Brockney Bray heard Finnis Ewan Hill was back behind bars, she thought, Thank God. But, oh my goodness, I sure hope he hasn't hurt anyone else. She knows what Hill's capable of. What he did to her in 2003 sent him to prison for 15 years. She was in her late 20s at the time at the car wash. It was dark out, and she says she remembers feeling in trouble when another car pulled up beside her. I felt him walk up, so I turned around and grabbed him on his wrists. And we struggled for a little while. She offered cash to get him to leave. He says, I don't want your money. You need to get my car. I said, I'm not getting in your car. He said, I have a gun. I'll blow your brains out. You need to get in my car. She grabbed her phone and told him she'd call police. Eventually, he agreed to leave and sped away. Thanks to her will to fight, detailed description, and a fingerprint left at the scene, Hill was caught soon after. He already had a violent criminal record with charges ranging from aggravated rape to burglary. Hill pleaded guilty to attempted aggravated kidnapping, aggravated assault, and being a felon in possession of a firearm. Hill was released from prison on January 18th of this year and had relocated back to West Tennessee. I had heard through the grapevine that he had listened to the podcast and wasn't happy about it. I even heard that he had made threats concerning what he would do to me if he ever saw me out in public. This was the third threat, either directly or indirectly, that I had received concerning the Casey McDaniel case since I started the podcast. And it was three threats too many. I was pissed. We were smack dab in the middle of Bethany Markowski's season, so that's where our focus was. We made sure that Casey's family knew that Pete was out, but decided not to formally announce it in an episode. At this point, we weren't sure if law enforcement was keeping a watch on Pete or not, but felt it best if we gave the impression that we had moved on from the Casey McDaniel case. And in June of this year, we realized that law enforcement was indeed keeping an eye on Pete Hill. And it all started with a Facebook friend request that was sent from an undercover Milan Police Department employee. After 22 years, 
a suspect was finally named in the Casey McDaniel case. The first to report there is now a suspect in a cold case killing. That case involves the disappearance of 14-year-old Casey McDaniel. The suspect's name, Finnis Ewan Hill. Now, interestingly, we told you about him just last week when he was indicted for crossing state lines to allegedly have sex with a teenager. That move was intercepted. He was arrested in South Haven after police say he went to a hotel room to meet a woman and her 15-year-old daughter he met online. Well, what he didn't know, he was actually messaging police. As WREG's Bridget Chapman learned, it was all set up in hopes officers would learn more about a role he may have had in a mystery case 22 years ago. An affidavit from the FBI reads as follows, quote, in May of 2018, an undercover employee here and after UCE of the Milan Police Department in Milan, Tennessee, began communicating with Hill on Facebook Messenger. The UCE was quickly able to gain favor with Hill, and the two entered into an internet relationship. Hill and the UCE both changed their Facebook status to indicate that they were in a relationship with one another, although they had never met in person. To prevent Hill from demanding an in-person meet, the UCE devised a ruse and told Hill that she and her 15-year-old daughter Haley had recently traveled to Lafayette, Louisiana, where they were visiting her mother and while there would celebrate Haley's 16th birthday, which would be on Sunday, June 17, 2018, unquote. Bridget Chapman. An affidavit details some of his disturbing messages. One said he loves to rape, chases women down, and beat them until they no longer move. Reading from the affidavit again, quote, In the course of Hill and the UCE's Facebook messaging, Hill revealed that he had created a name for his penis, which is Charlie. Hill also told the UCE that he has two lives, the one the public can see and a completely different one when two naked bodies get together, and that he has an animal inside. Hill has told the UCE that Charlie loves to rape, chase his women down, and beat them until they can no longer move. Hill has shown an infatuation with rough anal sex. Hill has shown an infatuation for underage girls and regularly brings up a schoolgirl fantasy with the UCE. Hill says that he is the principal and he has to punish the student. After one such conversation with the UCE, Hill actually traveled to an adult novelty store in Madison County where he took photos of restraints and a schoolgirl outfit. Hill sent the pictures to the UCE. Hill has mentioned making a choking device and stated that he wants to choke the UCE until the veins pop out of the UCE's head. He said he may choke her until she is never able to leave school. Hill says that Charlie cannot stop and will not take no for an answer. When the UCE said that she would cry, Hill responded that crying excites Charlie. Unquote. Another admitted to having sex twice with a 14-year-old. And later, he said he wanted to have sex with this made-up woman's 15-year-old daughter. Quote, on June 14, 2018, the UCE messaged Hill that she had had a dream that the UCE and the UCE's 15-year-old daughter, Haley, had a threesome together with Hill. The UCE expressed a feeling of awkwardness for having that dream. Hill assured the UCE that she should not feel awkward. Hill went on to discuss how people view his sexual perversions as weird but that he was not weird, just different. From here, Hill began to lay out several sexual perversions, desires, and encounters that he had experienced. He mentioned several that included masturbating in public places and peeping on women as they were undressing, and then admitted to twice having sex with a 14-year-old. Hill proceeded to discuss how young girls were having sex at a much younger age and indicated that the law should not be such that men cannot respond to young juvenile girls' promiscuous ways. 
UCE then said she would like to make her dream a reality if Hill would like to participate. Hill quickly stated that he would love to have sex with Haley and began ironing out the details of what would be allowed and not. Hill was told that Haley liked Seagram's wine coolers, Jolly Rancher candies, and marijuana, and that Haley preferred that Hill use condoms, unquote. Milan Police Chief Bobby Sellers speaking to Bridget Chapman. And some of the things that we saw uh, were quite disturbing, and we wanted to draw this out, try to get more information from him, but some of his actions prompted us to make an arrest a lot quicker than we really wanted to. Quote, on June 15, 2018, the FBI utilized a second person to pose as Haley, the 15-year-old juvenile daughter of the UCE, in a recorded telephone call between the UCE and Hill. In the call between the UCE and Hill, the UCE introduced Haley to Hill and put Haley on the phone. Hill became audibly excited. Hill spoke with Haley briefly. At the conclusion of the call, Hill told the UCE that he wanted to tell Haley that he was going to, quote, fuck her brains out, unquote, but did not because Hill was unsure as to whether the UCE would be comfortable with Hill talking to Haley in that manner. Later that evening, Hill was given permission to text directly with Haley. Over the course of the night, Hill exchanged several texts with the UCE, acting as Haley. In those texts, he told Haley that he was going to have rough sex with her. He told Haley that they could go to a hotel and cut Haley's mom, the UCE, out of the deal altogether. Then Hill sent Haley a picture of his naked body to include his erect penis. Unquote. They told Hill to meet at a South Haven hotel to have sex with the woman and the teenager. When the 66-year-old arrived, the FBI was waiting for him. They reported finding marijuana, alcohol, sex toys, and condoms in his car. From the affidavit again, quote, At approximately 6 p.m. on Saturday, June 16, 2018, the UCE texted Hill to tell him that she and Haley had stopped for the night at a hotel in South Haven, Mississippi, because they had decided to visit Memphis on Sunday before returning home to Gibson County. They planned to go to the Memphis Zoo for Haley's birthday. The UCE then told Hill that if he wanted to come to her in Haley's hotel room in South Haven, they could begin their sexual threesome that night. Hill expressed frustration with the UCE and swore at her. The UCE responded that she didn't need to put up with his anger and told him that the relationship was over. Hill continued to chat with the UCE and ultimately decided to go to South Haven. Hill drove from his residence to the Southern Inn and Suites in South Haven, Mississippi. Upon arrival, Hill was arrested by federal agents with the assistance of the South Haven Police Department for violating interstate travel to engage in illicit sexual conduct with a minor. South Haven PD prepared to impound Hill's vehicle and brought a drug dog to the location. Dogs circled Hill's vehicle and alerted. An inventory of Hill's vehicle pursuant to South Haven PD policy revealed what appeared to be marijuana. Also found within Hill's car were Seagram's wine coolers, Jolly Rancher candies, and a box of condoms, as well as a briefcase that contained restraints and sex toys, unquote.
brings us back to this past Wednesday. We parked across the highway from Casey McDaniel's last address to find a black forensic truck parked in front of the house. There were also multiple law enforcement vehicles lining the shoulder of the road and several people moving in and out of the house, one of them being Cindy Smith, Casey's mother. Milan Police Chief Bobby Sellers greeted us and spoke to Searching for Ghosts for the first time ever. Improved. There's things today that exist that did not exist 20 years ago. So to make sure that there's not anything in that house that was missed 20 some odd years ago, uh, that bringing, that's the FBI evidence collection team, and they're just going to go over that house with a fine tooth comb and make sure there's nothing that, uh, that they didn't miss right. back in the day. Yeah. Can, do you know of any uh, details of what, like, examples of what, what they do, you know? What they do? Yeah, as uh, far as, like... I can't say specifically what those people in that house do, but being yeah. in criminal justice, I know that things they look for would, you know, uh, DNA, uh, hair, from a suspect, not a victim, right. obviously she's there. Right. Blood, you know, and a lot of times, like, if we spilt blood, for example, on this concrete right here, we wash it off, we get bleach, but it's still going to get in the cracks and the pores, no matter how hard we try to clean stuff like that right. up. So there's a chemical you can spray that uh, it activates on the, uh, the the lead in your well have lead in the blood, right? And it reacts to lead. So when you spray it, it put the glasses on it. It looks neon. Looking. Okay. Just just stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't say everything they have on right. the truck because I don't know. Yeah. But. So are they going down to subfloors behind baseboards, kind of? I don't know. I, I'm not even. Cut my distance and peak, left huh? them alone. You know, it's just like I do with my own own people. If if we have a murder here, I don't walk through the crime scene. I don't. I let them do their jobs. They give any kind of time frame? How long they're gonna be here? Uh, you know, it's it's a small house. It's, my guess is they should be done today. Uh, what time? I don't know. But yeah. I know they're planning. They're prepared to work into the night if so they want to get as much done you know and not have to come back tomorrow right so, so we, we saw cindy how is she how is she holding up well uh she seemed to be pretty good uh now once since she's went in the house i, I we were talking about this yesterday i'm sure a mother going back in that house is for the first time since she's left it it's probably going to be hard on her so right. i don't I, again, I hadn't been over there. So, so she's in there taking them through? I think she was going to show them whose bedroom Room. and stuff right. like that. Okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate you talking Thank to you. And about five minutes after we arrived, we were met by Bridget Chapman from News Channel 3 in Memphis. FBI agents were here for a little over three hours searching the home and bringing out evidence. Now, even though she hasn't lived here for decades, we found out why there's still hope. 
FBI agents scour through a Milan home. It's where 14-year-old Casey McDaniel once lived and was last seen before disappearing in 1996. Milan police reignited their investigation two years ago, around the 20-year anniversary of her disappearance. That's also when podcaster Brandon Barnett highlighted the case. This is a podcast about the disappearance of Casey Lynn McDaniel. People close to the investigation told Barnett what they saw in the house. There were scratches going down the hall and... I don't know if they were there before Casey went missing. The new owner took him inside and told him the carpet nor wall panels have been replaced since McDaniel lived there. Those two things right there, I mean, could be could be telling. The FBI brought new technology inside the home on Wednesday that could detect old bodily fluids, such as blood. After about three hours, we watched forensic experts bring out several pieces of bagged evidence to take to the lab. Casey's mother, Cindy McDaniel, was also brought to the house. Police wouldn't discuss why she was there, but we exclusively spoke with her earlier this year about the investigation. When people think that you forget about your child and say it, you have to get really tough-skinned. But, you know, it's still, you know, it still bothers you, but she's never been forgotten. She'll never be forgotten. I think about it all the time, you know, and I don't, I don't, uh, residents of Milan, it's not constantly on their minds because it's just so uh, tragic, man. This shouldn't happen to our kids. Hoping they're getting closer to justice. Of course, we're going to stay on top of this and bring you all the updates when we get them. In Milan, Bridget Chapman, WRG News Channel 3. have any information on Casey McDaniel, no matter how small you think it is, call 1-800-THE-LOST. Now, WREG was first to tell you that police did name a suspect in this case for the first time earlier this year. His name is Pete Hill. He was friends with Casey's mother and her mother's boyfriend. And right now, Hill is in jail on unrelated charges of traveling to have sex with who he thought was a teenager. Now, police haven't said yet how they think he's connected to Casey's disappearance. Hey guys, Brandon here. Want to support Searching for Ghosts and look cool doing it? Well, now you can, and just in time for Christmas. The SFG store is up and running. We have three designs to choose from, including the quote-unquote shirt that I know the hardcore SFG fans will appreciate. We have multiple colors to choose from, t-shirts for men and women, and hoodies. I'll have the link in the show notes of this episode. You can also find the store at the top of the Searching for Ghosts Facebook page. Your support will help us keep SFG going. Thanks, guys.